Happy Sunday, baby brother. It is the 5654 podcast. That's right. We didn't have a show last week. Apologies for that. Why didn't you were on the road? I was traveling. Got back late. Down and back to... Well, not down and back, but we were overnight in Auburn, getting the kid moved in, that sort of thing. So, oh, yes. But this week, we have a very special week for you. Yeah, we're doing um, a double feature. A double feature, because, you know, we're talking about the movies, and so we thought it would be kind of cool to do a double feature, and so we're going to kick it off with the last... We're doing big movies this weekend. Yeah. Big movies. Long movies. Long movies. Big movies. Lots of... Epics? Wide-angle shots. What's that? Dare we say epics? Epics? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, epic in the in the sense that they're big. They're not necessarily. They don't cover a lot of. Well, I, I guess one of them does. One covers an entire lifetime, yeah, and the other one yeah. covers a lot of a space. lot of a lot of space. Yeah. So the first one. So we'll go ahead and. So we're going to do two movies, as we said, double feature. The first one is The Last Emperor, and the second one is dances with wolves you know what i dances almost, with wolves you know what i almost said there <laughs> dances with jews i did i almost said it <laughs> which is a, which is a joke from uh, mr saturday night which i don't think we've done that one uh no we'll do it in season five now. We'll, we'll do it in season five so big change is coming for season five by the way which we'll talk about in the next program so the last emperor uh one of my favorite movies let me let me run it down uh, L'Ultimo Imperatore, uh, which is the last emperor in Italian. I'm sure I butchered that horribly, but directed by Bernardo Bertolucci, also referred to Peter O'Toole in an interview as simply just Bert. I can hear Bernardo him. Bertolucci. Uh, it's about the life of Pu Yi, the last emperor of China whose 1964 autobiography was the basis for the screenplay written by Mr. Bertolucci and Mark Peeplo. Uh, just a fantastic movie all the way around. Uh, yeah, so based on The Emperor to Citizen, the autobiography of Asen Juro Puyi by Puyi, and uh, directed by Bertolucci, written, as we said, by Peeplo and Bertolucci, starring John Lone, Joan Chen, one of our favorites, Peter O'Toole, Ying Rusheng, Victor Wong, Dennis Dunn, and Ryuchi Sakamoto. 
cinematography by Vittorio Stororo. So again, a big Chinese, Italian, Japanese influence, obviously uh, British, Irish influence with Mr. O'Toole playing uh, Reginald Johnston. A Scotsman. Johnson, sorry, a Scotsman, <laughs> <laughs> playing a Scotsman. Uh, released October 4, 1987 in Tokyo. Later that month in Italy, and then in February of 88 in the United Kingdom, coming in at a whopping 163 minutes, which is almost three hours. Uh, in English, Mandarin, and Japanese, budget was $24 million, which actually, if you watch the movie, you feel like, wow, they got a, they got a lot for $24 million. And it made $44 million at the box office, so too many awards to even talk about, but Tons of awards, uh, nominations, be it Golden Globe, Oscars, just a, a all-around wonderful movie. It is, yeah, dare say one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing to consider is a lot of that stuff isn't sets. Uh, that was the first movie allowed to be filmed in the Forbidden City. Um, that the Chinese government uh, actually allowed Bertolucci to come in <clears throat> and film there, which is amazing. I'm sure that's expensive. Um, yeah, I I had I'd seen it, um, you know, sometime in the the college years, and I recently rewatched it a few weeks ago. Uh, before we decided we were going to do an episode on it, I should say, uh, which is rare for me. Um, and it's it's a big movie. It's uh, there's a lot going on. It's it's I, I'm kind of humored to hear that it it's less than three hours because it definitely feels like it's like three plus hours. Like it feels like it's in that realm of like there's just a lot that happens. You cover you know literally from birth almost to death of of this this person, um, and there's just it's a it's a big movie. It's why we wanted it. Um, it's beautifully shot. Bertolucci is famous for, for sort of big, beautiful, artistic films. Um, and I, I think this one's no exception at all. I mean, I think there's just so many shots at it that feel like paintings almost. They're so beautifully done. Um, that said, I, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's, you know, there's a lot of sort of political stuff that's going on. I mean, one sort of, uh, I was I was watching it. And I think I tweeted when I was watching it. And I was like, you know, one of the the blind spots in my general knowledge is like sort of pre-revolution Chinese history. Like, I have a pretty good handle on it in the the Mao Revolution and everything in the late '40s. Um, but this is, you know, this is. His dethroning in the in the nineteen teens has mm. nothing to do with Mao, and 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 that comes along later, um, in in the plot of the film, and you know obviously in his life that, uh, you know the the Chinese the 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 Red Revolution or whatever you want to call it doesn't come until the last third of his life, um, and basically. Uh, really fascinatingly, they they sort of capture these these big ideas in like one line throughout the movie. Where like I think there's like a sentence that's like, "Oh, it'll be in, it'll be important to keep him alive because it it gives us sort of power over history," which of course is really big for for the uh, the communists. Um, is someone crying there? It sounds like someone is crying. 
A baby just went by. Wow. In a carriage. Oh, that's a that's a whaler of a kid. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, obviously, obviously, listening to our discussion on Chinese 20th century history, <laughs> right? And driven to tears, um, which is a police so, song. So did I, you? Did you come to this movie? Like, did you see it when it came out? Or, or? I, I did. I can't remember if I. I think I saw it at the theater. I honestly, I cannot remember. But it would have been the late '80s, early '90s that I saw the movie. So, mm. not long after it was released. Jerry Hufford would know, because yeah. uh, I, I think I saw it with him. So yeah, the 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 and because this was around the same time that I would have seen my favorite year, mm. which is also a Peter O'Toole vehicle, and so it it kind of fell into that. And this is Peter O'Toole is a, is a big part of this movie, but he's also kind of there and then he's gone. Yeah, uh, you know, as Reginald Johnson and so Johnston, sorry, and so th- this. This movie for me was my enlightenment regarding big movies, and because I think mm-hmm. it's after this that I saw Lawrence of Arabia, I probably saw Doctor Zhivago, you know, some some of these types of movies that were were big, were you know, it, and it's interesting going back. Uh, was it two movies or maybe even the last movie we did, which was Vertigo? This also has its share of long shots, and you know, I was I kind of complained about that, I, you I know, recall. with the car and the you know that. I, I think it's to your point earlier. It's the way Bertolucci frames the shot, and and it does have to do with you know broad landscapes and broad monumental scenes of of the Forbidden City and you know, large vistas and, and, and the like, which I don't know why that's more interesting than seeing a car go down a winding road, but it is. All that said, you know, as big and bold as this movie is, it's still an interesting character study of Puyi, right? So the the scope, in, in a sense, is very, very narrow. Yeah. Uh, and... And yet, it, it's not that it is big. It's not that it feels big. It is big. It is a big movie. And, you, you know, the, the, the thrill of it is the, the writing, the acting, and then, of course, you know, just the, the, the overall ambiance of the movie. Yeah, I I think what's you know his world, uh, Puyi's world as as a child as emperor, is very small. I mean, he is really cut off from other people. He's cut off from the outside world. Um, as events start to unfold outside of the palace, he's more or less unaware of what's going on, um, which is is really kind of fascinating because you have, again, yes, you're right, these big, beautiful shots of the Forbidden City. Um, you have shots on occasion outside in Beijing in the streets. Um, of things that are going on, and yet for him, his life is very much wrapped up in that space. And I think, um, you know, he's kind of in the scene that we have. He's kind of starting to fight. He's fighting against it, right? He wants to see the world. He wants to get out there. And then once he's kind of kicked out of that space, 
suddenly the world is not very good for him anymore. And, um, you know, I, I read part of the, the biography at some point out of fascination and, um, you know, it's written in the mid sixties. It's published in the mid sixties by sort of a big, you know, by, by the Chinese government, you know, it's not like we're getting the full story of this person's life, whether or not he was able to not, whether he was able to tell it or who edited it, who knows, um, I don't want to get into all that, but certainly, uh, you know, the Mao years uh, were not the most open years. Um, so it's it's kind of fascinating. I'm really curious what history we're missing. Um, what of this person's story we'll just never hear now. Uh, in the sense that, I mean, I, you know, tend to shy away from just trying to read about emperors and kings because those lives are sort of you know one note of many emperors and kings yeah yeah and, and uh, queens yeah. and queens um and i just i uh am sort of fascinated here that it's like we never we never see a character kind of get to come out of that in some ways he's kind of forever um you know bound by his life within those walls even when he's outside of them in some ways like he's never really gotten to live he never really had the choice to live the life that he wanted um which is so fascinatingly in you know in juxtaposition to everything that's going on around him that like he's living this very insular life very you know following a lot of rules following a lot of traditions um and then everything around him is breaking down, right? Everything is about getting away from those rules. Every, you know, um, breaking traditions, uh, you know, especially after 49 with, with Mao, uh, obviously the, the revolution and everything has a huge impact that we're still feeling, uh, from China. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating to me that we get sort of the last vestiges of, what the old life was like and what the old ways were like and that as things transition into this new world we're still not really getting the new world because the character we're following doesn't know any of it right he's not exposed to most of it so um it is it is fascinating and i'm i'm you know obviously peter o'toole um just even even in a bad movie he's great right so like I'll say it just to piss you off, creator. Um, bad movie, but Peter it's, O'Toole's fan. It's a bad movie. It's, it means, but Peter O'Toole's fan. I still fan like it. I yeah, like he's it great in it. Yeah, because yeah, of him. Like, once he's out of that movie, for the most part, it's, it sucks. But he's great. And he's just, he's one of those actors that, like, you see him and you, you just, you just want to hang out with the guy, which I think is a rare trait. Um, and, uh, you know, didn't get quite the accolades I think that he'd always he always seemed like he should have had. Oh, and then he deserved, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but even here, I mean, it's like he really grounds the entire movie in a lot of ways. That like even though he's in again relatively little of the movie, he has such a huge impact on it. Um, and I think he has. I think the Johnston real person probably had a lot of impact this way on Puyi as as an outsider that came in that was interested in 
teaching a person about the world and was struggling against a lot of old rules again about not teaching them, right? That, you know, emperors can't be examined, right? How can you examine somebody who's perfect, who's divine? Um, you know, he, even he quite, he questions that and he says, no, you know, we have to do these things, you know, just because these are the old ways doesn't work. And, um, Oh yeah, the the scene and and I'm I'm rewatching it. So yeah, you're I'm at the scene. Uh, I'm at the scene where, or, or just just after the scene where they they talk about Puyi getting spectacles. Yeah, and you know, he he's he he can't have spectacles. Even if he can't see, he he can't have that persona. Yeah, or that aspect of his persona that says there's something not perfect about him. Right. And, you know, one thing I, I do think the producers did a very good job of was at, at each stage of Puyi's life as he's presented, they have, you, you feel like it's the same person. Yeah. Right? They did a really good job with actors, young and, uh, you know, up to uh, John Lone, Finding someone that fit the character of Puyi, you know, not knowing what he looks like or talk like in, in real life, but you you feel like this actor or this set of actors grow up through his life. And then when he gets to the point where he has to wear spectacles, the whole court is just beside themselves. The entire court, you know, well, that can't be. And, and it, you know, this is where RJ steps in, Reginald Johnston, and he says, you know, the boy needs spectacles, period, in order to just function. Yeah. And, and so the, but, but, but it's, again, emblematic of, you know, what you've said and what the quote really talks about and, and really the tail end of the quote, you know, that he, he doesn't really have any power no. at all. And, and that includes being able to run, you know, outside of the walls of the Forbidden City, which he tries to do at least on one occasion and tries to, you know, hurt himself and, and so forth and so on. But he, but then he's ravaged when he goes out, you know, because the world has changed and especially in China back in those days and I, I presume in these days as well, everything is about orthodoxy and, you know, everyone being at the same level, certainly not to the, to the place where he was. And it is shown in a kind of contrast where you can feel it. Right. And, and, you know, he has some of his, I guess his servants or valets that accompany him to prison and so forth. There are spoilers in this, by the way. (laughs) And, you know, you can, you can sense just how far he has fallen. And then, you know, moving from the kind of the color and opulence of the court to the drab (laughs) gray and brown tones that are presented once he he gets into prison. It's it's well done, you know, by Mr. Bertolucci and and his cinematographer. That contrast adds a certain 
forlornness, if that's a word, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to to the entire life of Puyi. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, he's, you know, we imagine, and I think we were just kind of talking about this just before we started in a different context, that in some ways it's like he's being punished for a life he had no intention of living. That just because of how he was born, where he was born, who he was born to, you know, we imagine we're like, oh, kings and queens have these great lives. And it's like, he really didn't. I mean, it's a pretty terrible life for the most part. Yes, he was insulated. Yes, he had nice things, had his every, you know, need catered to. But that's not really a great life either. Um, and we, we have this imagined thing of uh, the context we were speaking about it in uh, for our dear listeners um, was talking about famous people and how we imagine that the money covers over the the destructiveness of having to work 25 hours a day. And it really doesn't. And I, I think we want to imagine, and I think this was part of the issue a, a little bit with the initial... Uh, kicking out of of the position was that there had been this imagined like opulence to the way he was living and there really wasn't like at least not by his choice and interestingly i think by the time um the the chinese revolution comes around in the 40s and 50s it's like this is still just an ordinary person and we want to make sure that people recognize him as an ordinary person. And we're going to have him tell his story, even if we're going to heavily redact everything. <laughs> you know, right. and we're going to make sure that everyone knows that this is just a person. And, um, you know, it's it's I don't know. I I found it much more sad, this viewing um, this last time that. Oh, it's 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 a sad. It's movie. a heavy movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a heavy movie. Not, But not in the sense of like, oh, we lost like being emperor like forget that that might have been the, no, no that had the potential to be good for him um he just never as a as a person got to have any agency over his own life and that's that's kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways to me yeah and i think it's a lesson for all of us right i think if, you know if i were to turn on my curiosity and go well and we we talk about it often on this program about you know what is it? What is that purpose? What is it that you're going to do with your life? And in order to one fulfill your desires here and now, and then you know whatever you think is going to happen afterwards, you're absolutely right. He does not get the opportunity to even think about investigating that. I mean, at whatever age he was, three or four or five, yeah, he's cast into this role where you know. Everything about his life, even in one scene, you know, someone, he has people that test his excrement. Yeah. You know, in in terms of what should be in his daily diet and how things should be calibrated. So to that extent, you know, it's a... It's got to be a a prison within a prison, right? So you've got the Mm -hmm. physical prison of the Forbidden City, and then you've got this mental, psychological prison that you cannot be yourself. You don't even know what that is. You've not had an opportunity to to define it. Yeah. All you know is that you're this three- or five-year-old kid, I forget how old he was, that becomes the emperor of China simply as a figurehead. Yeah. 
Um, I think a really good parallel thinking about it is uh, a show like The Crown, where we're watching Queen Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth, Princess Elizabeth, and then Queen Elizabeth dealing with a lot of the same issues, right? That if I'm the head of this government or the head of this kingdom, where is my power? And the answer is, it's not really there. I mean, it's there, but it's not there, you know, um, which is endlessly fascinating. And I think, interestingly, I think um, contrasts greatly in some ways to the movie we're about to talk about. Yes, yes. So I think you have the question. But the question gives away the thing we also want to talk about Oh, a little bit. But I think now seems like a perfectly fine time. Yeah, go ahead. All That's right. all right. Whatever. It's a um, double feature. They're it's a double feature. This is, you know, it's a to be continued has to have a cliffhanger. That's right. Um, so uh, we'll start, I guess, by saying that the 5654 podcast will be the last vestige in existence of 5654 The Place. Is that a good way to word that? Yeah, that's right. Um, our, at least now. At least now. Yeah, fingers <laughs> as crossed. As of right now, yeah. As of, as of today, uh, <laughs> ARP is a little more skeptical. Um, our parents are selling the 5654 homestead. The palace. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> the palace. Um, and, and moving uh, in their, in their uh, middle age, upper middle age, uh, to, you know. <laughs> Um, so the question from me for this episode, uh, is what is your first memory? Did you go see the house with mom and dad? I did. Yeah, I did. I remember, uh, going to the house and it was, you know, 1981. So they all been in it. They just passed 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 40 years. And I remember going to the house. So I was 11, I was 11. And I remember walking on the sidewalk out front, had seen a lot of other houses and didn't care for them <laughs> at all and and didn't really have any any sophistication about house hunting or I knew the house we had in in at the time well, it's still North Cap County, but over in North Cap County, uh, which is a part of metropolitan atlanta and and so i I, I knew that and and didn't care for that house at all, <laughs> at <laughs> all. And the and, and I'll tell you what I didn't care about that house was it had rust-colored carpet, <laughs> which was the style stand, at the time. In the, yeah, in which the was the style at the time. Here. Couldn't stand it, you know. And and it was a split level, and you know there were just a lot of really bad things about it. I think it only had one bathroom upstairs, maybe it had two. I don't, I can't recall. And it was the it was the house in which I I first started wondering about death. Oddly enough, so Dad probably never shared this with you, but I often used to ask him at night. He would come in and say prayers with me almost every night, mm-hmm. and. I, he and I would talk about death. I would have these wicked dreams about it. And this was, you know, obviously before you, you came on board. And um, couldn't stand it. So when we got to this place, it was it was relatively new. I think it would it had another owner. Is that right? We were buying, yeah, I think there was a prior owner. Or it was like... It, the developer had just sold it. And it was, it was like... I think it was built in 80. Okay. And so 
and we knew somehow we knew the lady. I forget the exact connection, but we knew the lady. We knew the lady that. So I went to middle school. No, I went to elementary school with the daughter of the real estate agent we used, Eileen Howard. I still remember her name. I think her daughter's name was Rebecca. Hmm. Like, don't, don't ask me how I know that, but. And so we went to go look at this house, and, and we had looked at a lot of things. Dad wanted to be on the Marta line, and Mom was like, hell no, we're not going to be on the Marta line, which probably long-term was probably not a bad thought. And and so we ended up in what is, I don't know, southeastern Gwinnett County? Southwestern. Southern Gwinnett, southwestern Gwinnett County. And... It was, you know, it, it it changed our lives. And, you know, the, the demographics of Atlanta were changing in dramatic fashion Yeah, back then, as it has. And, and you know, my, you know, dad worked in a, a very, I'll call, I'll say Southern culture at Southern Company. Yeah. And, you know, his buddies were like, Dino, you need to move. And, you know, from where we were in, in North DeKalb County, and, and we didn't know better. You know, we just, I don't think mom and dad knew better. They were just looking at this going, you know, here's our investment, what's going to happen to it, so forth and so on. And so they, I think they were looking at it that way. They, and, you know, my schooling, and again, you you weren't around then. And, and so that that's how they looked at it. So probably a bit of a selfish perspective, but... You know that's okay at, at, at times. I mean, they didn't. Again, they didn't know better, and and so they, so they decided to move. We looked all over the place, and but this house it was, it was fresh looking and had a big yard. And it does. It has a you know huge yard, yeah. and we had. I think we had three bedrooms at the old place. This has four. It says two and a half baths. I think that one had two and a half or maybe even three because we had a bathroom downstairs in, in what was the basement in the split level. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, the, the, the fascinating thing about that particular change was certainly the physical location change, the house changed. And, you know, when we moved to 5654, and then I, I ended up in the Gwinnett County school system. And very different in terms of the, shall we say, the homogeneity of of the school system. What ARP and is so, attempting to say is there were a lot of white kids. <laughs> it was. I was like, I think I was the only, maybe non-white in in my middle school. So I, I entered there when uh, in in sixth grade. Uh, yeah, sixth grade because so I did fifth grade over it at. Uh, the, the elementary school over in DeKalb County and came here and immediately, and I was, you know, I was in the honors program. I was a smart kid at the old place, came here and just started failing stuff left and right. <laughs> and so, you know, immediately then my parents knew they'd done the right thing. <laughs> so Whatever makes uh, our child suffer the most. That's right. right. Whatever yeah. makes him suffer. And he's got a, he's got to, uh, yeah, he's got to really work now. Yeah. And so, but, not but and I, I still have friends today that I met in sixth grade yeah. at Trickham Middle School, uh, where you went as well. I did. Way. Yeah. 
And, and so, you know, it's had a lasting impact on my life. I don't know if that's what you were looking for in terms of an answer, but no, it's a, it's a great answer. Yeah. You certainly meant what you said there though. This podcast is hosted by anchor and available through Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, or pretty much wherever you get podcasts.